All right. Welcome back to part two of the AP podcast with Dan and Thomas. Um, we just finished up electrolytes. Uh, now we're going to go into carbohydrates and some recovery stuff. So let's dive on in. I was asking before, before we got off, kicked off here, um, what is the timing of carbohydrates? Um, where do you get those certain electrolytes we just spoke about? The potassium, sodium, magnesium even, and um, maybe some calcium, stuff like that. Where do you guys get your sources from? By like the most uh, dense foods in your diet that have those electrolytes. Go ahead, start off, Thomas. So the way that I look at carbohydrates is they need to be looked at and implemented um, based upon the individual and how they're going to optimize them the best. So in the grand scheme of things, it's going to come down to we need to utilize sources that they're not only going to be able to digest first and foremost, but also adhere to. Um, because I think that's the biggest thing when it comes to carbohydrates, just because the day um, in age that we live in, especially in the, here in the United States, like you go into the grocery store, like there is an abundance of carbohydrates and based upon whatever trend is going on on social media, that's what people are going to go to. So, um, like I can't tell you how many times I've seen it on Instagram and in the gym, like people are pounding muffins before they go into the gym because they want to get a muffin pump or they're eating a ton of English muffins or eating a ton of bagels. Like you name it. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and just ramble off a bunch of nonsense, but we've all seen it. Right. So I think when it comes to pre-workout carbs, you need to look at it as they're going to be used to top off energy sources and they're going to be used to prompt our workouts, right? So we need to figure out what sources are going to digest best for us. And I think from that, the carbs are going to increase insulin levels and then it's going to help you stay anti-catabolic during your workout. So that's why we want to have carbs pre-workout. And then like you said, the issue becomes what sources work best. I mean, I'm always going to fall with, it's going to be individualized. I personally, I like things prior to um, training sessions that are considered um, hypoallergenic. So I'm a big fan of white rice. I'm a big fan of red, golden, or Yukon russet potatoes. Some people can handle the skin. Some people can't. Um, I think that really depends on the cooking method and the storing method, how it's prepared. And then just based off of, and those are just two examples, by the way. And then just based off of the quantity of the source as well. Um, and then things like the electrolytes um, with the added sodium, stuff like that can be added in. And then I am, and you could ask Dan, because he knows, um, I'm a big fan of utilizing those dark leafy greens, the reds, the yellows, the oranges, um, in terms of gathering the micronutrients from a fibrous source to help slow down the digestion of the carbohydrates. And then it does help aid in satiety and then overall health and wellness. 
because that's essentially, I feel like a large um, aspect that people are missing out on. Yes, you want to be able to build your body up, but you're not going to be able to build your body up without these micronutrients in your plant. Yeah. You want to add to that, Dan? Um, no, yeah. That was really good tennis. The, um, I guess I'll add that the one benefit that if you're looking at electrolyte um, utilization or absorption and such, you can get away with loading them earlier in the day, um, like far away from your, your pre-workout so that you're not hammering or, or trying to overcomplicate that pre-workout carb. So um, don't be afraid to have like a huge veggie omelet or something in the morning if you're training at noon or, uh, or any time in the afternoon because um, you're loading on electrolytes. You're not necessarily depleting them as you're you know, going through work, going through your normal day unless you're sweating like crazy. Otherwise, um, you, you can use that tactic. So uh, focus you know, earlier on in the day, um, get those uh, electrolytes in those carb sources. Yeah, so leafy greens. I'm a fan of leafy greens, maybe, maybe a little bit of fruit. Um, cause some of the fruits that are high in, uh, potassium, magnesium, watermelons, oranges, kiwis and such. But, um, yeah, go away, go ahead and worry about that earlier on the day. And then you just, it's off your mind. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was, I wanted to ask both you guys, cause I kind of use this, but do you guys ever, and depending on how you go about, uh, your nutrition stuff, but based on kind of like a, a body type or a person that can metabolize carbohydrates easier um, than others. Do you guys use any sort of insulin spike during the day from a sh like a, like a fruit or like something of sorts? Um, if they're training in the evening and maybe we're timing their carbohydrates heavy around their training, obviously, but do you ever use a pretty decent insulin spike earlier in the day? Um, when you are, I don't know, dieting somebody, if that makes sense, do you see any benefits to that? Go ahead, Tom. Um, I would say personally, um, I think that comes down to what the individual does for their daily life. Um, for someone who sits at a desk all day and let's say we are in a fat loss phase, um, I'm in a hundred percent agreeance with Dan where I will have them have like a big omelet first thing in the morning. Like I would rather have someone if we're saying that they train later on in the day, let's say they train four thirty, five o'clock in the afternoon and their day starts at five thirty. I will slowly start to implement carbs throughout the day closer towards their workout. So for breakfast and maybe even their first meal, it'll be more protein higher fat and um, fibrous vegetable based. And then let's say if their second meal is at 11, 30, 12, I may sprinkle in, let's say anywhere from 15 to 25 grams of a um, starchy carbohydrate. And then that next meal, if that's their pre-workout meal, that's where I'll look to add in, I guess you could say a bigger um, bolus of carbohydrates whether that is just um, starches or whether that is starches and some um, fructose sugars. It really depends on the amount of carbs that we're looking at per the individual. 
if there's someone who, let's say they're dieting on 300 grams of carbohydrates, I have no problem going with a two to one ratio of, let's say, um, dextrose, let's say they're having a shake before they work out. I have no problem giving them a two to one ratio of dextrose and fructose before they work out. Or um, if they prefer just to have the starches um, prior to working out, I'll just give them a bolus of, let's say, anywhere range based off of what they can digest and how close in relation to eating are they to their training session. And then post-workout, that's when I would definitely look to utilize the two dual um, carbohydrate sources of um, starches or just dextrose and then um, fructose just because it does help increase utilization um i actually what's funny is i just sent dan an email about why i actually like utilizing um two two sources after working out because it does help with the regulation of your thyroid it helps stimulate the liver it promotes uh, micronutrients so you can put back what you lost and then um, it helps with oxidization. And then because they use two different intestinal transporters, the uptake can be better. So you're getting more bang for your buck post-workout. So then Dan, is that is what he's saying is there's more super compensation going on because more GLUT4 receptors are being stimulated through different carb sources or, or Thomas, what do you, is that what's going on? Is that what you mean? Um, so they're going to use two different transport um, absorption systems. So I know GLUT4 is one. I can't remember off the top of my head right now what fructose uses, but I don't believe that it is GLUT4. Um, I, I literally, I'm, I'm blanking out on it right now. But from what I found, your body is able to take in more, and then you can almost get a um, – further glycogen replenishment and then based upon how your body utilizes carbohydrates you can see a um, better super compensation effect just from my personal experience yeah no i i i would agree um and dan i, I guess going off of that i kind of wanted to kind of follow up from last time with those insulin pendulums that we were talking about sure um, Super compensating to the max. This is what we're talking about. Um, what uh, beneficial effects do you see from mixing those two um, and really raising that super compensation? What kind of stuff, or why should you do it? Is what I'm saying for people listening. Why should should you do that? Obviously, Thomas just said about thyroid and and um, different mechanisms, but. For uh, maybe a hypertrophy standpoint, or maybe a I don't know strength standpoint, is there any benefits to that? Um, strength standpoint, no. Uh, recovery standpoint, yes. Uh, loading supercompensation standpoint, there has been some studies that have shown that a little bit of fructose aids that, um, and it does go into uh, the gut, uh, those um, transport mechanisms. Um, however. I haven't seen 100% uh, conclusion on that studies. So I've tested it both ways. I, I will say that I do do that. If I'm peaking someone, if I'm trying to hit them with a lot of carbohydrates, um, 
in my opinion, after uh, doing some of the reading on it, I think it goes into kind of like topping off your liver um, glycogen stores, and that's what where a fructose is gonna be um, superior. And once that liver is on the body systems to fill that, um, so once you have that covered, then the rest of it is going to be 100% um, for muscular uh, use. So that's where I've used it. And um, so when I talk ratios of fructose to any type of a, a polysaturide or, or any type of that, it's going to be very minimal. So I'll hit someone with a piece of fruit very early in the day. Um, usually first thing they wake up. Um, if I'm peaking, I'm trying to load for that super compensation effect. Um, I'll hit them with a piece of fruit early on and that's just to top off liver stores. But other than that, um, post-workout in like off season, um, in season, even when you're depleting, I don't necessarily add fructose immediately post-workout. Uh, I'll have people eat a meal within 45 to 60 minutes post-workout and that meal should be um, a whole foods meal. So I kind of cover those bases there, more or less, um, but I usually don't worry too, too much on um, fructose post-workout. Um, that's just what I've been doing in, in the past, uh, and I've been flirting around with adding fructose in there um, a little bit. And some post-workout compounds, you're starting to see play with that, but it really hasn't picked up, so. Um, that's something that we might see more of in the future. Yeah, and, and kind of going back to when I was asking a little bit of an insulin spike, maybe from fruit earlier in the day, um, not necessarily for peaking, not for the super compensation, but have you ever used it for ghrelin and leptin responses? Um, earlier in the day, have you ever used that on somebody or seen things? The reason why I'm saying is because I've used it a little bit and have seen – just from practice of usually um, or, or even like white rice obviously has enough, but I mean like adding in fruit with white rice um, and having a low fibrous uh, or, or something that is kind of really easily digested like cucumbers and stuff like that. Um, doing that has helped people stay hungry to get in all this dense food that I want them to eat to be as most thermogenic as possible, I guess you would say, um, trying to break all that down. Um, and all it comes to, back down to digestion. And I, like, I want to learn more about that, Dan and, and Thomas, if you are into digestion stuff, gut health. But ha, I mean, have you guys used any of that, what I just talked about, um, in your plans at all? In my experience, <clears throat> uh, the least complicated plan I can give someone is the plan that I'm going to stick with. So sometimes it's a little like information overload when you hammer someone with, okay, your meals are going to be timed this way. Um, try to allocate your uh, macros in this manner and then hit fructose this, this different carb here, th this uh, quality protein, these fats, this ratio in the fat profile. So like um, usually we don't even broach this topic unless someone uh, comes back to me with, oh, my, my stomach's feeling a little iffy or my digestion's a little off um, or my bowel movements are type off. So then we'll yeah really start looking into uh, gut health and and what they're doing what type of um supplements they're taking uh and then how much 
water. I always regulate uh, and play with water. Um, we'll throw in some some things to aid in gut health and uh, gut clearing and such. Um, I, I'm not someone that's going to like immediately just throw, oh yeah, uh, probiotics. Let's, let's throw these in there. Like I don't, I want to know the reason why before you start throwing too many things at the gut because uh, you really throw, it, uh, throw you out of whack uh, playing with it too much. Gotcha. Gotcha. What about you, Thomas? Do you, I mean, I guess, did I explain it enough of what I'm talking about? Yeah. I mean, I get, like, I understand what you're saying. Um, I think I kind of fall in line with what Dan says, like something that I will do with a lot of my clients is say like, okay, like I'll give them suggested ranges um, based. Cause one, one of the things that I do when I do have them fill out their um, client inquiry form and questionnaire is I'll ask them what time they work out. So that way we can kind of play with, around with some ballpark ranges of let's say at breakfast, I want you to have, let's say 15 to 20 grams of fat. And then I want you to have 10 to 15 grams of carbohydrates from fibrous vegetables. And then we'll do another, like, let's say 20 to 30 grams of protein. So I think because of that, just like Dan said, unless they come back to me being like, Oh, like I'm gassy or I'm having an issue with going to the bathroom. I've never really been too restrictive of, okay, well, I want you to have fruits with meal too, combined with a starchy carbohydrate. I've never really fallen into that. I think um, when you are looking to maybe be that 1% better and really optimize everything because you want to take your physique to that next level or really improve your body composition those are variables that you would definitely have to own in on for sure. Um, especially because like I said before, the majority of physique competitors out there are creatures of habit. So if something works for them, let's say for two weeks, they're going to try to ride that, ride that wave for a month to two months. But you may get someone who, let's say the only vegetable they have in their fridge today is broccoli and they have broccoli four times. And then all of a sudden their gut is sticking out further than their waistline. And they're like, what are you doing to me? Well, if we really break it down because you're not digesting that broccoli, what is it doing? It's pulling blood and it's pulling water into your GI tract. So now you're bloated. So just like Dan said, some coaches will be like, okay, well now I want you to go get a digestive enzyme. We're going to take prebiotics. We're going to take probiotics. And I want you to take four shots of apple cider vinegar a day. Like, no, just like I said before, let's peel back the layers and let's look at what's actually going on. The root cause was you had a vegetable that is notoriously known for bloating. So instead of having broccoli, like why don't we have something like a carrot? Like people deem carrots to be like this like this terrible thing because they are somewhat of a starchier vegetable than broccoli. But at the same time, carrots are a natural prebiotic. So they're going to help you clear out what's ever in your system. So that could definitely help you stay hungrier because now you don't have a bunch of food sitting in your stomach. Gotcha. Yeah. Anything to add to that, Dan? No, that sounded great. <laughs> On point, Thomas. <laughs> well, 
Well, we can either do two things. We can keep going and make this whole, this second part about carbs, or we can move on and go right into sleep. What do you guys want to do? We can, I mean, if there's still more to talk about carbs, like we might as well just yeah. keep going. Right. Like I, I literally just threw that sleep thing out there because I mean, you could essentially like, um, this is something that Dan and I talked about back and forth for a while you could tie into having a bolus of carbohydrates right before bed to help you sleep better. Oh yeah. Exactly. So like you could obviously have a large consumption of carbohydrates before you go to bed to help increase serotonin levels. And then obviously that could be a way to help you sleep better. I mean, everything in the grand scheme of things is always going to be individualized. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I see that too. People who, at least my guys who, train have to train really late at night um and i'm trying to reach some in the rhythm of circadian rhythms and stuff like that trying to push them and get them to sleep as fast as possible when they get home i'll just load just back load them really hard like that and it seems to you know obviously help a little bit um, but but yeah no that makes sense um, but yeah if you guys want to keep going carbs i mean i love it so <laughs> just like just to piggyback off what you just said even with the backloading I think something that those clients should monitor, and I mean, this goes back to writing things down, is let's say you backload them with a ton of higher glycemic carbohydrates, and then all of a sudden their blood sugar levels rise and they have all this energy. That's where you might want to look at mixing a combination of higher and lower glycemic carbohydrates just to help level off that um, blood sugar level spike. So instead of it just skyrocketing, have it um, be more sustained because they are then going to go to bed. So it could then help with the serotonin and then also help refuel their muscle glycogen while they're sleeping. So they're not just having like a huge spike in insulin and then all of a sudden dropping off, waking up in the middle of the night in like cold sweats and almost waking up to binge just because they feel like they're hypoglycemic. Yeah, do you, you kind of do the same thing, Dan? How do you kind of mix indexes like that? Right, yeah. The, those evening lifters are tough just because you want to feed them. You want to start that recovery process. But, um, but yeah, if you hammer them too hard with carbs, they are going to have that, uh, that kind of um, – downing in the middle of the night and it does they've seen that it um disrupts getting into stage three and stage four the sleep cycles which are the deeper sleep cycles so um do you hit them with fats as well post-workout and then you end up uh, slowing down digestion slowing down you know you pay all this money for an isolate protein and a fast digesting carb and then you're throwing up fat and if it's a whole foods meal, a fiber, you know, you, you start backtracking yourself. But um, so it's it's individualized again. We kind of keep coming back to that. Uh, there's no absolutes. So there's going to be a certain uh, threshold of what that person can usually take in. And, um, and I've seen it go back and forth between male and female. Um, as far as there's some females that can pound carbs late at night fall asleep and sleep all night long uh, and they usually wake up and don't have to hit uh, a big breakfast. I've seen the opposite to be true as well. Um, 
that males can hit more carbs and females. So it's just like across the board, uh, really. And, um, and then yeah, the, the main key I think is sleep. Sleep is, uh, most more important than, than diet in my um, thoughts on recovery. So, um, it, yeah. And so I guess going right into that, um, what, so for somebody to try and get into, I guess the main thing is to try to get into your REM sleep cycles, right? I mean, I guess trying to get into a deeper sleep, um, and that's where the recovery and all that stuff is going to be happening. Um, do you see like certain timing of pain and then like say if somebody had to pin, where, where would you pick their training and then what would you pick for their very last meal before you go to bed? Does that make sense? Um, ideally, really, uh, usually like a noontime training, some, something that they can wake up, get blood flow going, get a meal or two in them, train, and then they also have a meal or two to recovery. Um, there's no like crunch time in their day as far as, oh man, we have to hit this and then go to bed, or we have to wake up and, and pound food and then go train. Uh, so somewhere middle of the day is that easy for most people to do? <laughs> Not necessarily. Most people have um, a job throughout the day, uh, what have you. But um, even if you train after work and then can get a meal or two in you uh, and go to sleep and, and then have that last meal, um, more or less a, a whole foods meal is going to be your best choice. And, um, and I don't necessarily see training timing and, um, amount of carbs or food to be as disruptive for the, uh, the later sleep stages. Um, that I, I kind of see, uh, the, how dark the room is, um, like white noise, how, how deep you can uh, fall asleep. And that's, Kept, oh, broke up there for a second. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Do you have any um, structured uh, types? Do you stick to a higher fat content before you go to bed, Thomas? Do you um, really limit the carbohydrates? Do you still keep in certain carbs but a different glycemic index? What do you like to see? I know it's individualized like we've been talking about, but if you're able to train during the day and then that last meal, what do you like to incorporate? So by, like I was, like I was telling you before, by profession, I'm a phys ed school health teacher. So I kind of luck out. I'm one of the general outliers that gets out of work at two thirty. So I'm able to get to the gym at three. And as I'm leaving, the majority of the public is coming in. Cause I'm out of there by, let's say four thirty, quarter five. So like that works out for me where I can wait, let's say, 15 to 20 minutes after I work out and like Dan was saying, um, like have some type of fast acting protein and some type of fast acting carbohydrate and basically kick myself out of the sympathetic, um, state and go right into the parasympathetic. I think, um, like that's going to be crucial. I, just because of the fact of we're causing such a stimulus on our body to fight or flight while we're working out that getting out of there, getting into the rest and digest kickstart recovery and utilize those nutrients is going to be priority number one. So that's why I am not 
I know it's a whole pre-workout craze out there, but I'm not a big fan of my clients taking, let's say, three to 400 milligrams of pre-workout after three o'clock in the afternoon. Just because of the half-life on caffeine, it could be anywhere from, I believe it's what, six to eight hours. So, I mean, you may not feel the residual effects, um, but your central nervous system will still be going. So I think that too needs to be highly considerate in terms of what is like, what is my supplement going to do to my sleep? Because I can't tell you how many times I've heard, dude, I took this new pre-workout and I was literally up to like 2 a.m. buzzing. Or it's like, well, that was cool. Yeah, cool, man. Because it aided your <laughs> But what is it going to do down the line? Because you may have had a good workout that day, but we all know progress occurs from consistency in a string of um, successful workouts and successful recovery over time. So um, like Dan was saying, I think in terms of before they go to bed, I know myself personally, I'll do a whole food meal where it's a bigger bullets of protein. It's still a good amount of carbohydrates. I will mix a few different sources. Um, I will do typically a like hypoallergenic carbohydrate source. Like I just like white rice. It digests really well for me. So that's pretty much staple, either that or potatoes. I will throw in some fructose and then I'll also do some type of high fibrous vegetable just to help aid um, with slowing down the digestion. And then I'll use the fats from the protein source. I won't necessarily add fats unless I just had some fats remaining for the day. If that's the case, I'll throw it in. Um, but I think good habits in terms of sleeping, it's going to come down to what your ritual is. So not getting into bed and keeping your smartphone right next to your face and having that blue light stimulate your central nervous system, um, your ability to calm down after your workout. So limiting caffeine intake, um, having your room be anywhere from, I think it's like 60 to 65 degrees can really help. Um, sleeping with your shirt off just allows your body to naturally your temperature to kind of regulate with the room. Whereas when you have clothes on, it can kind of restrict that. Cause I know even just sitting here right now in the hoodie, like I can feel my face getting red as I'm talking. So like my body temperature is going up. And two, if you have a way to relax and you have a significant other, like have some fun before you go to sleep and de-stress. Like these are all things that can help you sleep better. And when you sleep better, you're going to get better recovery. Yeah. So, I mean, those are just variables that I think obviously you can control. Um, obviously your daily everyday stress, that's going to be individualized. Um, what you eat before you go to bed, it can be individualized. And I was actually going to, before we jumped questions, I'm going to kind of jump back here. So Dan, you had mentioned that post-workout you like, you've had your clients use weight isolate. But if they train later in the day, like let's say they train 5.30, 6 o'clock at night, would you rather have them supplement with, let's say, 10 to 14 grams of aminos 
during their workout and then just go home and have a whole food meal because of the insulin spike that's going to occur from the aminos? Or do you still want them to do that whey shake and then try to squeeze in another meal? I like the double uh, meals. I like to slam a, a shake when you're, even if you're driving home. Um, and even if you're eating 30 minutes later, I still like that, uh, that isolate protein and then come back with a whole foods meal. I just haven't seen the, uh, I mean, I, I like BCAAs. I've, I've been using them for six, seven years religiously, but I don't give them that much credit. Uh, they, they're just the, uh, branch chain aminos. So, um, I would, I would hit them with a whole foods isolate and then a whole foods meal. Okay. Both. Yeah. I just, I just wasn't sure. Cause I was just thinking in terms of, if they were having trouble consuming all of that in one um, to almost augment the way isolate shake and like, let's say throw in a scoop of essential amino acids instead almost. So that way you have the BCAAs intra and then you have the EAAs so you can cover the entire spectrum. And I just figured the EAAs won't fill them up as much. I mean, obviously there are calories in BCAAs and EAAs as much as supplement companies don't want to publicize that. There are, but obviously let's say you're doing five grams of EA, five to 10 grams of EAAs versus 25 to 30 grams away. Like you might be able to still prompt recovery like you're looking for and then just get the actual whole food meal in. Right. I would never even hit just BCAAs and EAAs uh, without a carb source as well. So that's what I was uh, going to say to add to that. If I could, like I've used uh, EA, like in that situation, EAAs um, always with a carb intra carb source. Um, I, for some reason I'm very into like uh, like a John Meadows and a um, kind of intra cellular stuff with carbohydrates. Um, cluster dextrin. <laughs> Uh, cluster dextrin, yeah, you can do highly cyclic uh, branch chain or uh, highly cyclic fucking uh, cluster dextrin. Cluster dextrin, yeah. Excuse me. Um, yeah. Or there's different, yeah, dextrose, straight dextrose. I've used different things, but um, like having those two and then having the EAs in your bloodstream, I think it depends also, like in my opinion, how much, how long of the training session you're having, too. Obviously, the carbohydrate is going to stay in your system. Uh, if you have like, for example, like carbolin or something like that, or something that's um, not such a quick hitter, um, I have EAAs and then depending on their digestion too, or how long they're training, I'll throw in a shake if it's like a really long, and I don't know if this makes any sense, like Dan, you can correct me, but long training period and it almost becomes like resistance and then you're doing a shit ton of cardio afterwards. I'll have them supplement with it. It's almost like- What's that? It's almost like an endurance. It's almost like an endurance session. Exactly. That That's why. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Because you're tapping into probably different energy energy systems and stuff, obviously. And then if that's prolonged for a while, and say you have a competitor or something that can't train at all in the morning, do any sort of cardio or any anything like that, and then their training session lasts a long time, they have a lot of volume. Um, then I do carbs, EAAs with that, and then afterwards pound a shake and then a whole food meal. But, I mean, that's just kind of what I've been doing. 
Yeah, no, I agree with that. And you have to look at type of training too. If it's extremely metabolic or metabolite type training, that demand is very, uh, very high. And the most, I always say the most anti-catabolic um, macronutrient is carbs. Oh, yeah. uh, your supplement with carbs, you're going to be, um, you know, they won't be touching on those aminos just, just as much. Uh, so if you have a long training session and if you're in a caloric deficit, um, I don't start any prep with intra-workout carbohydrates, but I definitely finish preps with intra-workout carbohydrates. Uh, it's the most anti-catabolic um, macronutrient. So, yeah. I, like, I would say that all of my clients post-workout are protein and carbs without a doubt just for the fact that it is like going to prompt that anabolic response and it's you need a way to get the protein into the muscle cells so like i will have them do um some type of protein obviously an isolate if it's available quick um acting carbohydrate source and then i'll even have them add some sodium to their post-workout shake as disgusting as it sounds I'll have them do that just because of all of the intracellular mechanisms that the three of them combined have, it will prompt recovery and help further um, progression. Well, I, we do got that countdown and I want to actually do another podcast another time going into this more because I'm loving it. Um, such great information, guys, seriously. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, there's a lot that we covered today. Um, thanks for having us yay yeah no absolutely austin always a pleasure yeah man so i would love to like i said finish again in part three even um but for now um i'm gonna put thomas's and dan's uh contact stuff in the description um feel free to reach out to them if you guys have any questions for me i'm gonna put mine in there too so anyways guys thank you again and we'll see you guys next time all right all the best man